All right, look, guys, um, we're going to be looking at the topic of pornography today. The issue of pornography needs to be analyzed within the broader framework of the Bible's teaching on marriage. And that's why we're doing it this place. In the Old Testament, God protects the sanctity of marriage through the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, Exodus 2014, and through other biblical teachings related to that commandment, which clearly and directly prohibits a married person from having sex with anyone other than his or her own husband or wife. But the moral teachings of the Bible also prohibit sex between unmarried people. Verses that translate the Greek word porneia, we've looked at this in the past, as sexual immorality, that's that's a good translation. Matthew 15, 19, Galatians 5, 19, Ephesians 5, 3. That shows us that sexual intercourse outside of marriage is sin. The Bible also, however, talks about our desires. The consistent teaching of Scripture is that God is concerned not merely with human actions, but also with the attitudes of our hearts. This is clear from the last of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's, Exodus 20.17. The command not to covet means not to have a desire to take what belongs to someone else as your own. The command not to covet your neighbor's wife, therefore, what's that commanding? The shadow of adultery. Do not, do not commit. Do not commit adultery. Yeah, do not desire to have her as your own, right? You're not coveting her. You do not desire to have intercourse with her. Uh, This is made explicit, for example, in Proverbs 6.25, referring to an adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Don't covet that beauty. Uh, Jesus, then, in the New Testament, brought out uh, the intent of these Old Testament laws of sexual purity in his preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. What's he referring to when he says that you have heard it said? Yeah, the law of Moses, right? So, the, the very law of Moses... But I tell you, whoa, what? <laughs> but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm going to unpack this a little bit later on too, but Jesus is not content with merely a formal adherence to the seventh commandment, right? It's going beyond that. Nor is he simply interpreting it in a sense of, I'm going to be more stringent than Moses was or something. Uh, rather, on his own authority, I tell you, he is underscoring the purity to which such a law points. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in effect, now this is important, by labeling lust adultery, Jesus has deepened the seventh commandment in terms of the tenth, the the prohibition against covetousness. So if that's the standard, then we need to ask, well, which, which of us is not guilty of adultery? What we require is the attitude described by Jesus in uh, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus chooses the eye here because it's the eye that lusted. And the hand is chosen probably because adultery, even mental adultery, is a kind of theft. Now, some have taken this language of Jesus' command here literally. Uh, the church father, Origen, right, he actually castrated himself 
so he would not be tempted. Uh, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> okay, uh, that completely misses Jesus' point. If I gouged out my right eye because I had looked at something and lusted, um, well, my left eye will do just as well, right? And if I blinded myself, uh, I, can, I can still be lusting away mentally, right? Just viewing things mentally in my mind. What then does Jesus mean? It's this, we are to deal drastically with sin. Drastically. Cut off your hand and throw it away from you. Pluck out your eye, throw it away from you. Like even give us that distance to it. Um, we must not pamper it, flirt with it, enjoy nibbling a little around the edges of it. We are to hate it, crush it, dig it out, kill it. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul adds, and, uh, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Just as Jesus in Matthew 5.29 threatens with hell all those who will not deal drastically with their sin. You see, in Jesus' teaching, sin leads to hell. Unrepentant sin leads to hell. And that is the ultimate reason why we need to be taking sin seriously. The conclusion from these passages is that God's moral standards require that people avoid longing, people that need to avoid longing for sexual intercourse with someone apart from being married to that person. A relationship in which the Bible views sexual attraction and intimacy as wholesome and as a wonderful gift from God. But people must avoid longing for sexual intercourse with someone apart from being married to that person. The moral question about pornography then is whether it is right to create and to distribute and to acquire and to view porno- uh, photographs and videos or to read or listen to written and audio material that's erotic for the primary purpose of arousing in a person a, a sexual desires that are contrary to God's moral standards. That is, sexual desires for someone other than the person's spouse. Once the question's phrased that way, it should be evident, and I think we'd, we'd probably all be in agreement, I would hope, that creating and using pornography is itself morally wrong because the purpose of creating and using pornography is to arouse sinful desires in a person's mind, in a person's heart, desires that are displeasing to God, that are sinful. Such actions cannot be viewed as being morally acceptable. Now, pressing along, the handout that you have here, that's also with the PDF that was sent out, um, I'm going to follow along with Andrew David Nacelli's Seven Reasons You Should Not Indulge in Pornography. Uh, I'll just read them out to you, and then we're going to cover all seven, okay? This is how the kind of the morning's going to go. You should not indulge in pornography for at least seven reasons. It will send you to hell. It does not glorify God with your body. It is a poisonous, fleeting pleasure. It foolishly wastes your life. It betrays your wife and children. It ruins your mind and conscience. It participates in sex slavery. So my goal then in the rest of the lesson is to motivate you to say no to pornography by God's grace. So it's not like ethical this and that. It's actually I'm trying to motivate you to say no to pornography by God's grace. This is, this is a Carl Truman. I, would, I think I would agree with him. He says this is the major pastoral issue in the church today. I'm not really addressing in this session how to deal with pornography. Other resources do that well. Uh, I'm always like recommending Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Uh, Lambert's book presents eight grace-empowered strategies for fighting lust, sorrow, accountability, radical measures, confession, your spouse or singleness, 
humility, gratitude, and a dynamic relationship with Jesus. That book is well worth reading if you're, if you're in the midst of the mire of pornography. Read that book. My burden in the rest of this lesson is to motivate you not to indulge in pornography. I'm particularly burdened to motivate people who habitually indulge in pornography and who are not killing their sin of lust and covetousness. If that describes you, and I'm not just looking at the men, um, then this part of the lesson is a way of metaphorically taking you firmly by the shoulders and looking you directly in the eye and firmly, soberly warning you, wake up. You need to wake up. Don't you realize the consequences, what they are for indulging in pornography? And following the celly, you should not indulge in pornography for at least seven reasons. Number one, it will send you to hell. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. He authoritatively interprets that Old Testament commandment. And as we saw, it does not merely prohibit you, prohibit you from stealing someone else's wife. It prohibits you from lusting. Uh, Jesus says that looking at a woman for the purpose of lusting is sin. So if you indulge in pornography, you are sinning. Jesus then reaches a logical conclusion. Since it is sinful to look at a woman with lustful intent, therefore, therefore, you should tear your eye out if it causes you to sin, and you should cut off your right hand if it causes you to sin. And Jesus supports those conclusions with two parallel reasons. It's better to lose your eye, it's better to lose your hand, than for your whole body to, to go to hell. People who habitually and unrepentantly indulge in pornography go to hell. I'll just, I'll just put that there as a blanket statement. And I don't have to, it doesn't have to be pornography. It can be any sin, even a small sin. People who habitually and unrepentantly indulge in pornography will go to hell. Christian, one evidence that you have genuine faith in Jesus is that you are fighting lust. Indulging in pornography is a form of sexual immorality. And the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. God's wrath is against the sexually immoral. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. <laughs> I turn to Ephesians 5. Uh, verses 3 to 6. I want to read along with this. Ephesians 5, then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6 in a bit. Ephesians 5, 3 to 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no foolishness, or, or let there be no filthiness, or foolish talk, or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, because you could be deceived, right? That's what he's saying. Don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The sexually immoral includes people who indulge in pornography. Here's a paraphrase then of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Just paraphrase it. Don't think that you can get away 
with an unrepentantly sinful lifestyle. Don't think that you can live that way and still be a citizen of God's kingdom just because he didn't strike you dead three days ago. You know, you must be in the clear. Unrepentantly sinful lifestyles do not characterize citizens of God's kingdom. Unrepentantly sinful lifestyles do not characterize citizens of God's kingdom. And I'm just, I'm completely prepared just to throw that out there as an absolute statement. The Bible does. Don't try to wiggle around that. None of us can do that. 1 Corinthians 6.11 is a reminder to Christians, you are not inherently better than non-Christians. The sins that characterizes non-Christians used to characterize your heart before God saved you. Such were some of you. The sinners in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 are exactly who Christians used to be, past tense. The only difference is that God intervened, right? He washed you clean from your filthy lifestyle and forgave you. He sanctified you as God's holy people. You who are a holy, you're the Holy Spirit's temple. He justified you, legally declaring that you are righteous, even though you're guilty, guilty, guilty. So don't think that you're indulging in pornography is no big deal. Don't think that you can get away with an unrepentantly sinful lifestyle. The sinful people in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10 represent the type of people who are not citizens of God's kingdom. If indulging in pornography characterizes your life, then you can have no assurance that you're a Christian. Yes, Christians sin. But Christians are repenting sinners. So become what you are, clean, holy, righteous. Your eternal destiny is at stake. Indulging in pornography is a treasonous sin against God. That is why Jesus pronounced, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. If you are indulging in pornography, then you are not pure in heart. And only the pure in heart will see God. So, I need to ask, do you believe that indulging in pornography will send you to hell? If that the case is yes, and it is, then do whatever it takes to win the battle over lust, even if it means plucking out your eye. Of course, plucking out your eye won't solve the problem of lust because lust is a heart issue. There's not a one-size-fits-all strategy for combating lust, uh, but you need to fight the battle with multiple weapons. Again, Heath Lambert's book is very good with this. It may mean that you install software like Covenant Eyes on your electronic devices, it may mean that you maintain transparent accountability relationships. And not after the fact, oh, I messed up again. It's actually before that happens. It may mean that you refuse to go to certain places or own certain devices. Maybe you're the kind of person who can't have uh, a really cool phone or a tablet. Maybe you just can't have it. You have to go old school with a flip phone kind of, you know, that's fine. Pluck out your eye, throw it from you. Uh, maybe you can't watch certain movies or view certain websites. Whatever it takes for you to win the battle over lust, it is worth it because indulging in pornography will send you to hell. Any questions about that before we get to number two? Good. <laughs> indulging in pornography does not glorify God with your body. Glorifying God is a way of feeling and thinking and acting that makes much of God. It shows that God is supremely great and good. It demonstrates that God is all-wise and all-satisfying. John Piper has made a pastoral career on this, this very thing. He says that we must glorify God. We most glorify God when he most satisfies us. That's an excellent tattoo, right? We most glorify God when he most satisfies us. 
That's what God created us for. And you glorify God with your physical body when you use it the way that God intends. Indulging in pornography does not glorify God with your body. Turn, please, to 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to read 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I say, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Then shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In this passage, Paul is addressing another issue in 1 Corinthians in which the Corinthians have adopted the, the worldly view of the, of the pagan culture around them, excusing sexual immorality. It appears that men in Corinth who profess to be Christians are having sex with prostitutes. What does it matter? It's just the body, right? You know, this is a, we're on a spiritual level here. It's just your body. While Paul specifically combats one type of sexual immorality in this passage, having sex with prostitutes, what he says applies to another kind of immoral sex, including indulging in pornography, which is a type of sexual immorality. Verses 19 to 20 support verse 18 by explaining why committing immoral sex is a sin against your own body. The paraphrase... 19 to 20, Christian, your individual physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom God gave you. Your individual body, there's also the corporate sense, but he's saying here your individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom God gave you. Consequently, you don't own your own body. God does because he paid for it at the cost of his son's death. One of the most motivating reasons not to indulge in pornography, if we're really thinking about this, is that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple theme is a major theme in biblical theology. Tracing how the Bible, how the temple fits into the Bible storyline, it richly enhances what your body is a temple means in verse 19. But can you imagine um, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies back in the day and indulging in pornography. Can you imagine that? But now your body, your physical body is the most holy place. So don't defile it. Keep it pure because it's a sacred space. Here's one way to summarize Paul's main argument. In verses 12 to 20, just in one sentence, glorify God with your body by not committing sexual immorality. When you indulge in pornography, you sin against God because God owns your body. Indulging in pornography does not glorify God with your body. Questions about that? 
Number three, indulging in pornography is a poisonous, fleeting pleasure. Turn to Hebrews 11 for a moment. Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses chose not to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That means, and we all know this, but... That means sin can be pleasurable, right? At least for a time. It's not just always even in the midst of it. This is miserable, this is horrible. It's actually, no, it's actually pleasurable. We can, on a a certain level, enjoy it. But that pleasure is fleeting. It's fleeting. Indulging in pornography is immediately pleasurable, but the pleasure is fleeting. It leaves you feeling empty, unsatisfied, yearning for more. Could God say the same thing about you regarding pornography? By faith, you refuse to indulge in pornography because you choose to enjoy God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of pornography. Can God say that about you? You do that because you consider enjoying God is greater than any pleasure that pornography can offer. Indulging in pornography is like eating a sugar-coated poison pill. Why would you try to satisfy your physical hunger with sugar-coated poison pills when you could just be feasting on excellent food? And why would you try to satisfy your desire to be happy with the sugar-coated poison pill of pornography when you enjoy God himself? You enjoy God himself. Why trade that for a sugar-coated poison pill? Indulging in pornography is always, always foolish. It's never wise. Indulging in pornography may satisfy your sinful urges short-term, but it will never, ever make you happy long-term. It steals your joy. So don't desire pornography. Desire God. The pleasures of pornography are poisonous. They are fleeting. The pleasures of God are eternally and infinitely satisfying. One way to fuel your desire... To know and worship God is is by reading or listening to John Piper's very famous sermon, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. Have you heard that or read that? I recommend it to you. Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. But he concludes the sermon with this. Let me just read it to you. Knowing the supremacy of Christ enlarges the soul so that sex and its little thrills become as small as they really are. Little souls make little lusts have great power. The soul, as it were, expands to encompass the magnitude of its treasure. The human soul was made to see and savor the supremacy of Christ. Nothing else is big enough to enlarge the soul as God intended and make little lusts lose their power. My conviction is that one of the main reasons the world and the church are awash in lust and pornography is that our lives are intellectually and emotionally disconnected from the infinite soul-staggering grandeur. For which we were made. Inside and outside the church, and Western culture is drowning in a sea of triviality, pettiness, banality, and silliness. Television is trivial, radio is trivial, conversation is trivial, education is trivial, Christian books are trivial, worship styles are trivial. It is inevitable that the human heart, which was made to be staggered 
by the supremacy of Christ, but instead is drowning in a sea of banal entertainment, will reach for the best natural buzz that life can give, sex. Therefore, the deepest cure to our pitiful addictions is not any mental strategies, though I believe in them and have my own. The deepest cure is to be intellectually and emotionally staggered by the infinite, everlasting, unchanging supremacy of Christ in all things. That's, I mean, that's classic Piper, but it's classic Bible. That is the Bible's teaching on this. Number four, indulging in pornography foolishly wastes your life. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. A drop of water seems infinitesimal compared to the Pacific Ocean. So does your short life on this earth compared to life after death. Right now, there are so many people who, there are so many people to serve and to love, so much to learn, there's so much to do, but instead of swimming in the ocean of the Bible and strategically investing time and money to spread the gospel in our community and around the world, we may be foolishly wasting our life by indulging in pornography. When you indulge in pornography, you waste your time, you waste your energy, and sometimes your money. Instead of powerfully serving God with every ounce of your being, you waste your God-given life. You cripple the church you are a part of because instead of serving others inside and outside your church, you are like Achan, deceitfully loving your sin instead of forsaking it. Instead of freely serving God as a slave of righteousness, you live like you are enslaved to the sin of pornography. Look at Romans 6 again. When you indulge in pornography, you act like what the book of Proverbs calls a fool. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Indulging in pornography foolishly wastes your life. Number five, indulging in pornography betrays your spouse and your children. This reason applies to you if you're married or ever will be married. When I married Jill, I made a covenant with her, a promise of sexual loyalty. I would rather die than be unfaithful to my wife. If you indulge in pornography, then you are not loving your spouse. You're breaking your promise to be lovingly loyal to them. You are betraying them. You are committing adultery against them and you are making them compete with a database of racy images that you've lusted after. Indulging in pornography can ruin your marriage, and indulging in pornography will harm not only your marriage, but your children. You will lose your moral authority. Your children will suffer, and if it leads to divorce, then your children will suffer even more. Remember the text from the Old Testament about how God um, punishes sin to the third and fourth generation. Sin is social. It's never just, there's never any sin that we commit, but especially pornography, where it's just, here's me in my hermetically sealed chamber indulging in this sin. It impacts me, 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 me alone, and has no impact on anybody else, particularly pornography. We're being completely fooled by that. That's not the case. It will impact your marriage, your wife, your kids, everything. Number six, indulging in pornography ruins your mind and conscience. I'll unpack this in four steps. Number one, indulging in pornography ruins how you think about sex. 
Sex is a gift from God that is exclusively for one man and one woman who have covenanted together in marriage. Sex in marriage is beautiful. Sex is God's idea, and we should praise him for it. Pornography corrupts and perverts sex. If you indulge in pornography, you will think about sex perversely. If you are married and indulge in pornography, then you will delight in sex with your spouse less and less. That's just a fact. Number two, indulging in pornography ruins how you think about women. Women are humans whom God created in his image and they are beautifully, they beautifully display God's glory. If you lust after the bodies of women, then you will think about women as sex objects to satisfy your lustful sin rather than as fellow image bearers. Your perception of women, your sisters in Christ even, will change. Three, indulging in pornography ruins how you think. It destructively rewires your brain. There's all kinds of science about this. It actually rewires, it reroutes your neurons and everything else too. And the, the endorphins, are the, you know, it's crazy. It ruins how you think and thus it warps your affections. Four, consequently, indulging in pornography ruins your conscience. Your conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. When you indulge in pornography, then, you desensitize your conscience because you suppress and silence your conscience and rationalize away your sin. I just had that happen. I was talking to somebody on the phone this week, and I've, it's been a long time since I've actually seen somebody try to rationalize their sin in that way. It's, it's happened this week. It's just, it's just a fresh reminder. We can rationalize our sin away. We can harden our conscience. We can make it callous. We can harden it. So it's actually, it's not perceptive. It's not actually open to being changed by the word of God. God help us. Eventually, you can damage your conscience so badly that it doesn't condemn you when you sin. It's like, you know, you have no feeling in your hands. You just rest on a hot stove element. And it's just burning your flesh away. It's like, you want to have that sensitivity of conscience. You may, for example, you may need to calibrate your conscience uh, about viewing sexually charged nudity in movies. I hope you don't do that. As a Christian, you must renew your mind with Scripture by indulging, but indulging in pornography ruins your mind and it ruins your conscience. Finally, and then we can open this up for questions. Indulging in pornography participates in sex slavery. Uh... When you indulge in pornography, you feed the system. And this system harms women in particular. One way pornography harms women is that it ruins how women think about themselves. Many women are insecure about their body image and even hate their bodies and have eating disorders and are depressed because they can't compete with the impossible standards of pornography. But pornography harms women even more significantly. When you indulge in pornography, you participate in sex slavery. Pornography is to sex slavery what gasoline is to the engines of motor vehicles. Gas fuels engines. Pornography fuels sex slavery. What is sex slavery? A sex slave is a person who is the property of another person, and that owner forces the slave to obey them by performing sex acts, usually for money, Sex slavery is sex trafficking, which includes acquiring, transporting, and exploiting sex slaves. Most prostituted women are sex slaves. 
Often a pimp physically and psychologically abuses prostituted women to coerce them to continue committing commercial sexual acts. Sometimes people abduct children and adolescent women and force them into prostitution. Most women who enter prostitution have already been sexually abused. Again, it's not for the faint of heart. I've mentioned it once before, but there's a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly that I, I watch from time to time. It's, it's looking at Skid Row in Los Angeles and different people coming in talking about their life and their upbringing. And that is a consistent, consistent thing. Most women who enter prostitution have already been sexually abused. Prostituted women are often girls or adolescent women who are insecure, become emotionally traumatized, and view themselves as worthless, unlovable. How does pornography fuel sex slavery? Pornography fuels the demand for prostitution and thus for sex slavery. David Platt, in chapter 5 of his book, Counterculture, tells the story of a nine-year-old girl in northern Nepal named Malia. A charming slave trader deceived Malia's poverty-stricken single mother when he promised to help provide for their family by helping Malia get a well-paying job in the city at the bottom of the Himalayan mountains. He promised to send the money she earned back to the mother and to bring Malaya back to visit her family at least once each year. The mother eventually but reluctantly agreed, but the man did not keep his word. Malia's new job was to sit outside a restaurant in the city where customers would violate this beautiful girl. Sometimes 20 customers a day would rape Malia. Platt next tells the story of a 16-year-old girl named Hannah. She lived in Birmingham, Alabama. Her boyfriend started treating her like a queen and convinced her to flee with him to Los Angeles so that she could be a model. Then he pressured her to pose nude for photo shoots. Then he pressured her to have sex with truckers. Her boyfriend became her pimp. Platt then shows how pornography connects to sex trafficking. Research continually demonstrates a clear link between sex trafficking and the production of pornography. Federal legislation has acknowledged this. Participants in the production of pornography have confirmed this. And while exact figures are hard to pin down, one anti-trafficking center reports that at least a third of victims trafficked for sex are used in the production of pornography. Another study on the relationship between prostitution, pornography, and trafficking found that one half of nearly 900 prostitutes in nine different countries reported pornography being made of them while in prostitution. When we hear such research, we mustn't miss the connection. Men and women who indulge in pornography are creating the demand for more prostitutes, and in turn, they are fueling the sex trafficking industry. I say that again. Men and women who indulge in pornography are creating the demand for more prostitutes, and in turn, they are fueling the sex trafficking industry. Yet, the cycle is even more vicious than that. For the more people, for the more people watch pornography, the more they desire sexual fulfillment through prostitution. Such desire drives men and women to engage in physical prostitution or even virtual prostitution as every home computer becomes a potential red light district. Pornography thus feeds prostitution, again increasing the demand for sex trafficking. Do we, do we realize what we're doing? Every time a man or a woman views pornography online, we are contributing to a cycle of sex slavery from the privacy of our own computers. A journal that... A, a journal that Johns Hopkins University produces also makes this connection. It, it argues, quote, that there are a number of links between pornography and sex trafficking and that curbing pornography can reduce sex trafficking, end quote. 
The growing evidence is horrific. More and more women who escape the bondage of sex slavery are testifying that pornography fuels sex slavery. Such women are often forced to pose nude for photographs and to endure sex acts for films, all while pretending to enjoy it. Not only are many of the women in pornographic pictures and films themselves sex slaves, but pimps regularly use pornography to instruct children and young women how to perform for customers. You can't indulge in pornography without being part of that culture without fueling prostitution and sex slavery. Pornography is part of the law of supply and demand for prostitution and sex slavery. It fuels the demand for sex slavery. Plant this deeply and firmly in your conscience. Since pornography fuels sex slavery, indulging in pornography to any degree is participating in sex slavery. This is the case even if the person you lustfully look at is profiting financially from that pornography. The point is that any and all pornography is part of the worldwide system that fuels prostitution and thus fuels sex slavery. So those are the seven reasons, or just some of the set of the reasons, seven of them here, that you should not indulge in pornography. It will send you to hell. It does not glorify God with your body. It is a poisonous, fleeting pleasure. It foolishly wastes your life. It betrays your wife and children. It ruins your mind and conscience. It participates in sex slavery. And, uh, and we'll, we'll stop there. But any questions? Again, just one more time. Brother, sister, if this is a sin that you're indulging in unrepentantly and you feel trapped, stuck in it, read Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free. Remember? And, then, and also, please, talk to me. Talk to Alex. Talk to a brother or a sister of the church. Confess your sin, and, uh, and uh, let's bring you back on track to living a holy life. And uh, it's, it's too serious. It's too serious. Well, then, next week, Lord willing, and the week after that as well, we'll be looking at divorce and remarriage. And, uh, yeah, so let's get ready for that. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys.